a spectacular night in the Valley of the Sun as we welcome you to Glendale, Arizona, as the VCS Bowl Bash continues on Fox in this sensational first-year venue. Boise State tonight steps onto the national stage, playing the role of David, trying to take down Goliath. Boise State for the win. They hand it off to Johnson. Boise State has won the Tostinos Fiesta Bowl. Can you believe it? Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We invite you to join us each and every weekday from 10 o'clock in the morning Eastern time until high noon. If you go to YouTube, you type in Chatterbox Sports. Please subscribe, like the show, no charge whatsoever. So that old adage, if it's free, it's for me, and I'll have free. Uh, I understand we're up and running already where you might find your podcast, uh, you know, Apple, any of those kinds of places, and uh, we'll be up on Google as well here soon. All right, so here we go. Big weekend of college football. UC, as you know, lost for the first time in regular season play in two years, 31-24 at number 19, Arkansas. Now, look. There's no need to get all down or worked up about this game. They could have won this game. Quite honestly, they should have won this game. Penalties gave up big plays on defense, something they've not done for two years, and missed big plays. It really cost them, all those things. Quarterback Ben Bryant did some nice things. He won the starting job, as you know, over Evan Prater, the kid from Wyoming who was Mr. Football in Ohio. But, and we're not going to sit here and kick Ben Bryant around, okay? It's not going to happen. Not going to happen all year long. I don't care how, how, how good, bad, and different he might be. But you cannot miss touchdown throws. There was a sequence where there were three straight plays. They have two receivers on that team, as Dan Hoare told us last week that run four 240s. They had three plays in a row where those guys were five, seven yards behind defenders and Bryant overthrows them every single time. So if you're going to beat good teams, you can't miss those throws. Arkansas is a good team. Saturday night, I was there. I was lucky enough to be there at the Horseshoe in Columbus, Ohio for the Mighty Buckeyes against Notre Dame. The setting was, was just incredible. I mean, weather was great. Stayed away from the rain. Not an empty seat in the entire house. Now, we know Ohio State's high-octane offense. They were the highest-scoring team in college football last year. Never got it rolling, as many of us, me included, expected. But that will certainly not be a problem moving forward. They just have too many weapons too many great players for that to happen. But what they did do, okay, which they did all the time under Urban Meyer. Whether you like Urban Meyer or not, it's irrelevant. Okay, but people who played against Ohio State and against Urban Meyer will always tell you his teams would shove you around and punch you in the mouth and put their foot on your throat and never let you breathe. 
With Ryan Day, they haven't done a lot of that. They've won a lot of games. They're 35 and 4. They've only lost one game in the Big Ten. But they don't smash you. This was a smash mouth defense power run game victory for Ohio State. And a lot of people feel like this was more impressive a win than had they thrown up 52 or something like that and won by 35. And by the way, local ties. Congratulations to Cincinnati kids Xavier Johnson and Mayan Williams. Johnson's an amazing story. Three-star recruit, could have gone a lot of other places, Mac school, that kind of thing. Walks on at Ohio State. He's from Summit Country Day. He caught his first career touchdown pass. It was the one that gave him the lead, and he was replacing Jackson Smith and Jigma, who had been hurt earlier. And then there's Mayon Williams, kid from Winton Woods High. This kid had a phenomenal rookie year last year in the shadow of another freshman running back, Travion Henderson. But down the stretch on that game-sealing drive, he scores a touchdown, runs for nearly 90 yards. Mayon Williams is a force that rarely is a guy talked about on that Ohio State team. Footnote, by the way, for Notre Dame. And there are a lot of Notre Dame fans here in town. That's a good team. They came to play, which says a lot about the former Buckeye linebacker, now their head coach, Marcus Freeman. If that quarterback who was making his first ever start in front of over 105,000 in Columbus, if he can just continue to progress, watch out for Notre Dame. That's a better team than I thought they would be. Meanwhile, Alabama and Georgia lived up to all the hype, right? Pair of blowouts. The Bulldogs demolish Oregon. And I got to tell you, why do these people continue to rank these, 12, these Pac-12 teams so high in the preseason? I know Oregon went to Ohio State last year and won. I understand that, and good for them. But they look like a high school team in that game. I mean, how do you go to Georgia and get beat? What was that final? 49-3? to So you couple that loss with Utah – Right? I had him in my top five last week, Utah. That's why we did it before the season started, right? Utah throws a pick right at the end of the game in the end zone at Florida. And so what that means is you can pretty much phone in already. Not a guaranteed yet because it's only one weekend. But you can pretty much phone it in that this will be another year where the Pac-12 does not have a team in the college football playoff, and I'm not buying USC yet. It won't be long, but not yet. The Pac-12 has not had a team in the college football playoffs since 2016. All right. Uh, The countdown is on, as we know, for the National Football League. I wish we could hit that music. Boom, 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 boom. Right. Here we go. Bengals hosting the Steelers. You may have seen the news. Kind of weird news, by the way, uh, about the Steelers. Mitchell Trubisky, the former quarterback for the Bears, he's an Ohio kid up from Mentor, Ohio, I believe is where he's from, Mentor High School. Um, He was named a team captain a couple of days ago before they had even named him the starting quarterback. Well, they took care of that by announcing that Trubisky – 
is the starting quarterback week one right here in Cincinnati against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Paul Doherty, legendary sports columnist here in Cincinnati, will be on in just a few moments to talk about that game. The season actually begins on Thursday night. And what a great game from the get-go. Buffalo, chic pick for everybody to win the AFC. We're going to be giving our picks for division titles and playoff teams on Friday. So Casey and Brandon better get ready for that, along with our regular game picks. I tell you, the more and more I read about Buffalo, I, I, I don't know. Now, picks aren't coming until Friday. I don't know yet about Buffalo. But the Bills will be on Thursday night. That will be in L.A. taking on the Rams. There was a question about Matthew Stafford and his uh, elbow. He has come out and said he's good to go. And I got to tell you, all the years that I had a chance to do the NFL, uh, Stafford was one of my favorite guys. Uh, His first year, I think we were doing a game in Chicago, and he broke his collarbone. And when he came back, I think he then started a stretch of like 10 years where he did not miss a single start. This guy's a gamer. He's tough. He's likable. Says his elbow's okay. He'll be ready to go Thursday night. Big event here in greater Cincinnati starts actually today. Practice round. They had the qualifier yesterday. I'm talking about the LPGA Tour. Making a stop down the road at Kenwood Country Club for the inaugural Kroger Queen City Classic. Kenwood Country Club General Manager Dylan Petrick will join us in roughly about uh, a half hour, a little less than that, to talk more about that. So still to come a little bit later on, we'll have our college football top five, right? We'll have that. We'll have Paul Daugherty coming up on the other side of this break. Tracy Jones will be joining us later on in the program. Going to talk to Tracy a little bit about his views on what is going on in baseball, and I mean from a macro standpoint. Uh, everybody talks about – actually, I don't know if that's correct. I don't know if anybody talks about baseball anymore. I, I mean, I, I broadcast baseball games for 33 years. Cubs, Diamondbacks, Reds. I don't know if anybody's following baseball anymore. It, it breaks my heart. Um, but we're going to talk to Tracy Jones about some of the rules, some of the things that might be holding baseball back from being a part of America's future instead of America's pastime. So when we come back on the other side of the break, Paul Dockerty will join us. You're watching Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Back in a moment. Back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. A pleasure to be joined uh, each and every week by a legendary sports columnist from here at the Cincinnati Enquirer for many, many, many years, 35 years, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Paul Dockerty. Doc, good morning. How was your weekend? Did you have a chance to have a cold cocktail or two, cold beer or two over the weekend? Yeah, I might have had, I might have had one or two of those, Tom. Weekend was uh, <laughs> delightful, weather, weather notwithstanding. Got soaked uh, doing my job at Hickory Woods, uh, washing down carts on Saturday morning. Um, but I'm a pro. Hung in there, <laughs> did my job, made ten bucks an hour, and, and had a had a blast when I got home. I want to ask you about the Steelers. Uh, you grew up a Steelers fan. Grew up in uh, Greater Pittsburgh. I did not correct that. Oh, really? I thought you did. No, no. My my wife grew up 
outside of Pittsburgh, went to high school with Tony Dorsett. I grew up a Washington Redskins. I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. But you were a Steelers fan. I got that part of it right. I mean, a uh, Pirates fan. Pirates fan, yes. Yes, yes. Okay, all right. But you have covered many of these games through the years. Uh, Obviously, a series that has just been dominated thoroughly in every way, shape, and form. Uh, The Steelers over the Bengals. Uh, I know the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. They won the division, all that kind of thing. Do, do you think, though, that, that a lot of people are taking for granted this week that the Bengals will beat the Steelers? I, I don't think any fan with any sense of victory would ever take for granted a win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think Pittsburgh is so well coached. I think they always, Tomlin always has his teams ready to play. Uh, they reached a playoffs last year, which I thought was nothing short of a miracle. Through the years, all the years you've covered Cincinnati sports, and I know we're only three years into this thing, but when it comes to Joe Burrow, ha- have you seen anyone that has just completely taken over this town as a sports figure more than he has in a short amount of time? No, I'm trying to think. Tom, uh, no, no, if, uh, b- because of, of what they have done such a quick amount of time under his leadership, his charisma, uh, his will, whatever, whatever you want to call it. You probably call it any, any or all of those things. Uh, the combination of uh, emerging kind of from the ashes to get to the Super Bowl ahead of schedule and, and him being the prime reason for it, no, there, there's, he, he's, he's transcend, uh, transcendent as an athlete. You know, you've written before about uh, about teams, and most recently this would be true of the Reds going back to 2010 and 2012, and that, that proverbial window that you hear about all the time with teams, where their young players are coming up, you still have them where they're affordable, you don't have to make decisions on the big money deals yet that prevent you maybe from getting somebody else. Do you believe the Bengals are in that kind of window right now, or do you think with Burrow because of his age and good Lord willing he's healthy, that that window is extended maybe a little bit longer than just the next two, three, four years? I don't. I I do not think. I I think the time really is now, Tom, because you're talking about uh, a salary structure where more and more money has to go to Joe Burrow, which means there's less and less money for everybody else. So while – you may have your transcendent quarterback. Uh, he's not the only one on the field. Uh, you have a lot of great players that you have at, at relatively cheap costs, especially Joe Burrow. This year and next, but mainly this year, is is the year for them before the pendulum starts swinging finally away from them and, and toward teams who are in a better situation which would be the same situation the Bengals are in now with having a, a rookie quarter, a quarterback on a rookie contract. Uh, the UC loss, want to shift gears over there. The UC loss over the weekend, I made the comment uh, in the opening monologue there that I didn't think it was a big deal. Um, you know, it's too early to start jumping on this guy or that guy or whatever the case may be. Did you think it was a big deal? Well, I, I, when, when you have a chance to, to make inroads in in, uh, in the SEC, you don't, you don't do a deal. You see, wants to be 
uh, aspires to be. It was a big deal that they lost the game. Uh, individually, the, the game, anybody who is a realistic UC fan uh, could not have seen that as a calamitous day, right? They'd lost guys to the draft. They lost both their coordinators. Uh, they lost their quarterback. They're on the road uh, in a hostile environment uh, with a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator and a team that's pretty, pretty much totally and they lost by a touchdown. And like you said earlier, had they not made so many mistakes, they might not have lost. I'd love to see this game played six weeks from now at Nippert Stadium uh, after Ben Bryant's had some, some – uh, throws under his belt, gotten some experience, and he's not playing in front of 70,000 maniacs. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal that they lost because they don't have to make that up. They're not going to South Bend or the Irish aren't coming here anytime soon. That was the game. If they wanted to stay playoff relevant, uh, that was the game. They're, they're not going to be playoff relevant. Year's Day Bowl, and, and, and that's great. But um, I – Nothing but roses long-term as long as, as Luke stays around. Yep. Um, one guy who didn't stay around, uh, and you've written about this guy a lot, um, is Brian Kelly. Now, I, I'll say for the record that, in you know, look, a lot of times in life we're, we're guilty of saying, you know, this person is X, Y, and Z based on what we've heard from other people, right? I had a chance because um, – uh, we were doing the BCS stuff with Fox at the time. Um, I had a chance to, to, to visit UC practices, to visit Brian Kelly. Uh, his family lived right up the road from us and saw all the great work his wife was going through and, and, and her, her cancer treatments here in Cincinnati, all that kind of thing. Um, I found the guy to be, no question, a wheeler dealer, but I found him to be a pretty decent guy. Um, there are a lot of people around these parts that don't feel that way at all based on the way and how he left the University of Cincinnati. But, Paul, look, nobody knows better than you, right? The college game is structured in such a way, the way the whole system is set up, where when a regular season ends, teams start firing their coaches, and because of recruiting, they feel like they got to get that next guy hired for recruiting before the bowl games come around. So I know that's a mouthful before I get to the question. But, but, but should people be so hard around here or dislike around here Brian Kelly as much as it seems like they do? My heart say, hell yeah. Hell yeah, they should. Because of what he did to you in 2009. Uh, he repeated it in Notre Dame last, uh, last winter. Uh, my heart says he's a snake in the grass. My, my head says, no, he, he's a snake in a grass who is a product of a system that rewards snakes in the grass. You know, yeah. uh, if, if college football, if the NCAA would be serious about uh, not having repeats of Brian Kelly ditching two teams that were on Destiny's door, uh, they, they could do some things. They could say, you, you want to you hire a guy before he's done with his former team? Great, you hire him, and you're banned from the postseason for four years, three years. No bowls, no no playoff, no nothing. You can't. If you want to do that, you can. You can't play in a bowl game or in a, a final four game or what's soon to be a final 12 game. 
Uh, they, they could make the financial burden so heavy that school twice a doing that. Getting a pass. Uh, the NCAA is getting a pass. Guys like Brian Kelly are who they are. We all know that. Uh, but he's not getting a pass. And, and uh, I'm not a big fan of what he did at Notre Dame or here at uh, UC. But I, I understand he's proud of the environment. And until they change the environment, you're going to keep having guys like Brian Kelly. Because I, I, people think he's a, a snake in the grass. But I'll give you 95 million reasons why he doesn't give a damn about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious, uh, and I am one of the people who very much believes, even though I thought they were very impressive. I made the comment. I went up to the game on Saturday night. I thought Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman were really, really impressive. But at the end of the day, they just got out-muscled a little bit near there at the end. But, but I firmly believe, because of the academic restrictions that Notre Dame still does have, and I'm not saying they're on some big pedestal because I don't put them up there, but they do require – some certain academic level that in a lot of other schools, it's not there, and it keeps you from getting player X, Y, and Z. At LSU, I think Kelly's chances now are much greater to get that player X, Y, and Z. Do you think Brian Kelly wins a national championship at LSU? I, I think if he stays long enough, he'll still play. For, I, I don't know if he'll, if he'll win one because – uh, the little school uh, in Tuscaloosa <laughs> say about that. Um, I, Brian Kelly is the coach or has the program yet that Nick Saban does. Uh, if it's not Nick Saban, it's Georgia. Um, and any other any other conference, uh, I would say you'd have a much better chance. Uh, as long as he's got to get through Alabama and Georgia to win it all, uh, I think it's a tall ask. All right. Well, Doc, I know you got to get to work. Although I got to tell you, uh, up here in Hamilton, it is pouring down rain. So I don't know how many golfers you're going to have out there, or how many people are going to be riding around in a cart. The rain can wash a cart for them today. Yeah, I know. It's not raining here yet, but it looks like it's going to. But see, I'm, I'm a dedicated cart, cart <laughs> bomb. I, I show up in the U.S. mail, right? Right. I take this job seriously. You think the last job I had as a was something I took seriously? No way. That was playtime compared to hosing <laughs> golf, brother. Hey, speaking of golf, I quit. Before I let you go, are you going out to the LPGA this week? Does that interest you at all? You're you're a golf guy. I mean, does it interest you to go out? I am a golf guy. Uh, this is my week where I, I make my annual trek to the North Carolina mountains with my son. Nice. On Thursday of my weekend, and I would uh, I wouldn't go to anything Super Bowl. Fit men the time with my son on the hikes. Well, have a great time. And, and how's married life for your daughter, by the way? It's great. Fantastic. She's loving life. And yeah, very, very good. She, you know, married seven. My son got married in July, but Jillian's been going strong for seven big ones. That is fantastic. We're, we're going to have a lengthy discussion sometime about your kids because I always thought some of the, 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 the greatest pieces you ever wrote had to do with things that maybe, well, not maybe. They were not sports-related. They were about the hikes with your son, about raising a daughter with special needs, about losing a dog. And all of us who have dogs, and man, I mean, you know, when, when that day comes around, and, and I've been through, I don't know how many, a half dozen, maybe more through the years. Uh, but we'll catch up about some of those topics down the road. Have fun today at work. Thanks for your time, Doc. We'll catch you next week. 
You got it, Tom. Thank you. All right, man. And don't forget, Doc, you now have the morning line back up and running. Before I let you go, where can people find that? Because you're back in business. Themorningline.substack.com. And you subscribe. It's free. It's like your show, only not nearly as good. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make it try to make it as good. But uh here it is. It's the same thing for Sayers. We're gonna try to refine it, add a few things, make it better than it was. Um, but for the moment it's it's very free and very available. The morning Awesome. We'll check it out. All right, Doc, have fun at work today. Have a good day. Don't know how many golfers are out there today. We'll catch you next week. You know, it's interesting to talk about the whole Brian Kelly thing because uh, the, the way that LSU lost that game the other night, um, you know, it looked like they were going down for the score to tie the game, and then um, they didn't, right? Then they somehow get the ball back, and they go all the way down the field. And in the final play of regulation, they throw a touchdown pass. And everybody, even even television, and this is a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. And if anybody else is out there watching that wants to be a broadcaster or wants to be in the production of telecast, David Hill, the legendary President of Fox Sports, when we started back in 1994, he put together a little handbook, production handbook and an announcer's handbook. Only had about eight pages. Wasn't overload. But, but, but the thing was, it was always in baseball, the next pitch might be the most important pitch of the game. Football, the next snap could determine the winner and the loser. Everybody was so focused on showing the guy celebrating on the sideline and showing the quarterback who took him down the field, that all of a sudden, it was just like that, and, 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 and you missed the block point after. You didn't miss it, but you weren't teed up for it. Everybody assumed that that was going to be automatic and that this game was going to overtime. Well, we know what happened. The extra point was blocked, and LSU loses in Brian Kelly's debut. All right, later on, we're going to have uh, Tracy Jones on the program. Coming up next, though, I mentioned the LPGA Tour is in Cincinnati. The Queen City Classic presented by Kroger begins, well, I was going to say begins today, but um, this rain, it is pouring down, at least up here in Hamilton, Ohio. Now, Doc lives closer to where Kenwood Country Club is. He says it's not raining there. But when we come back, Dylan Petrick, the general manager at Kenwood Country Club, to tell us about everything going on, how you can come out and watch, where to park, all those kinds of things. When we come back, this is Off the Bench, presented by UDF. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us again, 10 to noon every single day, Monday through Friday. And you can check us out on YouTube. Just type in, uh, search up Chatterbox Sports. We invite you to subscribe. It's for free. We've had uh, great guests so far. Just uh, this into our third show. And you can find us in podcast form, if that's better for you, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we talked about this week a great event, which begins, I guess technically it, event, uh, it opened yesterday with the qualifiers 
A lot of practice rounds for the ladies today. Tomorrow, a big pro-am out at Kenwood Country Club. Then the tournament starts. The Kroger Queen City Classic begins in earnest. Stop on the PGA, uh, LPGA Tour uh, right here in Cincinnati on Thursday. And a pleasure to be joined from the Kenwood Country Club, their general manager, Dylan Petri. Uh, Dylan, I... Uh, I hope you're doing well. I, I, I would imagine you probably need to set up a cot or a bed in your office as much time as you've been spending there getting ready for this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. We're, we're averaging about three hours of sleep right now. So uh, quick, quick turnaround and right back at it. But it's going to be an amazing time for the players and a little challenging with weather so far, but uh, the, the forecast for the rest of the week really looks great. So it should be a great time for the fans and the players. You know, Dylan, for those that don't know a lot about um, course management, okay, and, and you hire greenskeepers and you hire guys and you pay them a lot of money, and I know you've brought in, and I'd like to hear you address this, you brought in some help uh, to, to get ready for this tournament. But talk about, uh, for people who may not know anything about it, um, it pours down rain for three or four days leading up to your tournament. What does that mean for the course and ultimately for the players in the club? Sure. So rain's going, one of the things about Kenwood and Kendale specifically is we have very wide fairways that we try to keep hard and fast, which so the ball, when it hits the hard fairways or the hard greens may bounce. So it takes a little bit more precision to keep it out of our rough or our bunkers, which are very, very punitive here at Ken, on our Kendale course. So what the rain does is it does two things. One, it softens those greens and it softens those fairways so the ball sticks and you don't get roll. Great players' roll actually can be negative for them because it rolls into a trap. Uh, so we're not going to see as much roll early on, so uh, we're not seeing as much carry. At the same point, uh, what is helping is the rough is growing longer and longer and longer because we can't get out there and cut it in these conditions. So when it does make it to the rough, uh, it's four to five inches deep right now, and so it can be quite punitive. Uh, but it's tough. We can't roll greens. We can't get out there and mow right now. We did one mow this morning, and then we picked up a tenth inch of rain. And uh, it's raining again right now at uh, Kenwood. So it's, it's going to be a fun opportunity and a little bit different for both the players and our staff. How did this whole thing come together, Dylan? Because th there was a time uh, many, many, many years ago where Cincinnati hosted an LPGA event. Heck, there was a time Cincinnati hosted a PGA event. How did this whole thing come together for Kenwood? So uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I started at Kenwood in Dece late December 2019. And my first week here, people were whispering about this event coming to Kenwood. And frankly, it was all unfounded rumors at that point. Uh, late May, early, late May of 2021, we were approached by a gentleman, Tom Kempton, who's a local businessman, who had a dream of putting together this tournament. And we were very polite with Tom, but we basically said, uh, until you have some sponsors in the room in the LPGA, this probably isn't going to work at Kenwood. We're, we're full. We're, we've got a busy schedule. Fast forward a couple months later, he calls back and says, let's do a meeting. And by the way, I've got the LPGA, Kroger, and Procter and & Gamble in the room. Hmm. Well, now all of a sudden, you know what's happening in Cincinnati. And we, want, we believe we are the best place for that tournament, not just our course, but also the size and scope of our operation and our club. 
And one thing led to another. Uh, they tied into the program a ladies' leadership event, which was very important to us as well, as well as Kroger and Procter and Gamble. So that's uh, that's how we came to, and we're thrilled to have them here. It really happened quickly once they had the sponsors on board. I just find it so interesting how all of a sudden, I mean, was there a gap? Did, did you know in, in the ladies' tour? Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But they've always come to Ohio up near uh, Toledo. That's where they were a week ago. Um, did, did somebody have to lose a tournament for, for Kenwood and Cincinnati to gain the tournament? Or is it, was it an idle weekend that all of a sudden they said, hey, let's plug this thing in here. This is going to work great. So this, generally what happens is sponsorship, just like any other sport in PGA and LPGA, is going to drive tournaments. So – the opportunity to have these two large sponsors involved. Uh, in reality, we're picking up a tournament uh, in terms of this. We're kind of the inaugural expansion league, you might even consider it. They change. They have the opportunity to change the schedule each year. We, we knew our schedule was locked in. Uh, Toledo moved a week earlier, which we think helped us this year because it allowed the player who was in Toledo to make the four-hour, three-and-a-half-hour drive or, fly, or quick flight down to Cincinnati. And uh, that's why we think we have a great field. Uh, seven of the top on their money list are playing this uh, this week. So we're pretty excited about it. What's the biggest challenge of getting ready for an event like this? I'm sure there are multiple challenges. But, you know, look, in a day and age where you go to a lot of restaurants, they can't find enough employees just to get through some of the days or nights. Uh, I know you guys have done a fabulous job with your staff there and, and, and getting people and keeping people. But but is that been the biggest challenge, the number of people you have working the event, uh, or is it something else entirely? You know, I think it, for us the biggest challenge right now is there's a lot of different parts. If this was just a Kenwood event, we know all the pieces and the operations and how to do it. But when you add in the LPGA and you add in Kroger and you add in P&G and you add in the Excel management, we're all learning to work together for the first time as well. In Kenwood, we might be the powerhouse country club, and this is how we do it. You can imagine Kroger, P&G, the LPGA, they all have their ways of doing things as well. So a lot of this year is about getting to know each other as partners and how we can work best together. And because of that, there's been a lot of last second changes or operational decisions that happened probably on a closer to the tournament timeline than as the operator I would have liked. But uh, we're getting there, and I think what this really is is a great guinea pig for next year and the year after for the tournament as well because it is a three-year contract and the goal is just to improve every year uh, we're lucky at kenwood we have a great team we have over 300 employee partners working this event we have about 30 or 40 other volunteers from other clubs that are giving up their time to be here and then there's over 700 volunteers as well working for excel management and the lpga including about 150 kenwood members so Great support throughout the community and uh, just working through uh, some logistics of getting to know our partners. All right. Help, help me, uh, Dylan, for people out there who want to know how they can go, uh, where do they get tickets, and then clearly uh, where your location is. I mean, for your day-in and day-out operations for your members and so forth, there's plenty of parking. But for an event like this, uh, where will people park? So let's start with the tickets. First of all, w what's the easiest? Can, can you just drive, walk up to Ken, not drive up, but walk up to Kenwood, and if you get dropped off and buy tickets, or you got to do it ahead of time, how's it work? 
So uh, Queen City LPGA is the website, queencitylpga.com. And that's going to have all the information as well as the opportunity to buy tickets. It's also going to show where parking is. Uh, different ticket packages have different parking areas. Uh, Ensemble Health is for the general public. But if you go to Queen City LPGA, you can buy your tickets, you can buy your parking passes. You can show up, but you can't park at Kenwood. So buying a ticket and not being able to park here is probably not something you want to do. So go on to Queen City LPGA, purchase your tickets there. There are some select Kroger retail or select Kroger outlets that are selling uh, tickets as well. Um, we're expecting well over 50,000 people throughout the four days. Even with uh, the Bengals playing on Sunday, we expect a good turnout. So absolutely, QueenCityLPGA.com is where you want to go for all your information. You took the words right out of my mouth, the last thing I was going to ask you about, Dylan, and that being that, uh, you know, college football has started and, and all the interest there and, you know, UC, Ohio State, on and on. Uh, the Bengals starting their season. Is the tournament locked in for this particular week? What, what, what in essence, is the second weekend of September, which is always when the NFL starts. Was that ever an issue? Is it an issue? Are you locked into that same weekend moving forward? So we are we are looking at this date and the Labor Day weekend, actually, this weekend actually works out going into this week well for Kenwood. Our pool season's basically wrapped up. And generally, this is when we begin airification. So this was a week that Kenwood also had on its calendar. Obviously, we are, you know, we face the challenges with Major League Baseball, the NFL, what's going on in the men's PGA, college football as well. Um, but that's something we've got to continue to monitor and look at and see what the effect is. Sure, it didn't do us any favors that the home openers for the Bengals was against the Steelers, but uh, we do expect a strong crowd. We will have TVs in different areas, kind of turning into a party atmosphere in the different hospitality tents, the members' tents, and as well as the, uh, we'll have TVs for the general public so that you can still keep up with your sports while enjoying the LPGA as well. Dylan, I wish you all the best. I mean, this is a huge, huge endeavor. So excited for, uh, for you, for Kenwood Country Club, for Greater Cincinnati, having the ladies here in town. It's going to be a great event. You mentioned uh, most, of all, most, if not all, of the biggest names on the LPGA Tour are here uh, for this event, I think I was looking at it this morning. I think of the, it's all but about seven of the top seven or eight of the top fifty ranked players in the world uh, are going to be here. And so, uh, good luck. We'll pray for good weather. Thank you. And I know it's going to be great golf out there. So, Dylan Petrick, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see you out here soon, Tom. All right, we'll be out there indeed. You know, it's going to. Uh, I am rooting big time for this lady named Jillian Hollis. My son has been uh, caddying, uh, his summer job, has been caddying out there at Kenwood uh, all summer. And for those of you that have caddied or had kids that went out and did it, um, I mean, it, it, it's hard work, but you meet some incredible people. Uh, him being uh, a senior in high school, and he's going to have a chance to caddy this event. He, I, he's so nervous. You know, you, you go through one of those deals where, you know, you're looking at your wife and all you guys have been down this road before, okay? You're looking at your wife and you're going, okay, your kid has a chance to fill in the blank, whatever it is. But by doing so, your kid has to miss four days of school, <laughs> okay? So 
Thank God he has proven himself to be an outstanding student, no issues, off the playing field, so to speak. Thank God. But uh, look, when something like this comes up, I don't know if it's a male-female thing. And Lord knows, I don't need to get myself in any trouble with anybody else, okay? We've been down that road already. Um, but this is one of those where, in the back of your mind, right, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, he's got a chance to do something that he is going to remember for the rest of his life. He'll be sitting around a fire pit in his neighborhood one day, four or five of his buddies having a beer, watching a football game, and maybe the topic comes up, man, you wouldn't believe what I had a chance to do when I was in high school. I had a chance to caddy for an LPGA event. Now, do you think the chances are better of him talking about that or what they went through in science that day? And he loves science. He loves a science teacher. But that's sort of where the rubber meets the road. So this is life experience here. And he's getting paid. So we're rooting like heck for her to go demolish that tournament. And since I've been out of a job for two years until last week, maybe he could then in turn support our family and bring home some cash, which would be a really, really good thing. In fact, uh, I might just tell him to quit school entirely and send his ass out on the PGA Tour and, and try to become a caddy at 17. Would that work? Probably not. Nah. Eh. Nah. Okay, probably not. All right, when we come back, I'm kidding about that. Uh, when we come back, what we're going to do is, is we're going to walk through our picks from last week with uh, Casey and Brandon. I didn't even bother to look at how I did because in the back of my mind, the two or three scores that I had heard um, right in the tank. So, that and more coming up next on Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We're back in a moment. All right, we're back on Off the Bench. Um, gave you my top five before the season started. We're going to be doing this every single week, and we will update this. This isn't what the polls say and all that kind of thing. This is just what I think, for whatever that's worth. All right, so let's go to it. We start with number one. Alabama, okay? They, they roll in their opener against nobody. They play on the road at Texas this week. Texas. Quinn Ewers, the former Ohio State quarterback, now transfer at a couple of touchdown passes in his first game. Um, so they're number one. Number two, you saw the Ohio State University Buckeyes. Smash mouth football, tough, good game. Did they air it out? No. And we'll hear from Ryan Day on that in a minute. But Jim Knowles, their new defensive coordinator, comes in there. All the pressure in the world on that guy. And, and believe me, I was sitting there, and, and the first play of the game, Notre Dame rips off some 30-yard pass play, and everybody and his brother is sitting there going, you got to be kidding me, here we go again. They allow 72 total yards in the second half, um, allow three completed passes in the second half. So 
some might be saying, how do you put Ohio State ahead of Georgia? I do because I, we know what's coming with the Ohio State offense. And if their defense is good, they are really good. Number three on that list was Georgia. Saw the Bulldogs, talked about that route against uh, Oregon High School uh, down there in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I, I just can't get over how – all right. Uh, it, look, good for Georgia. They're great. Kirby Smart's a great coach. They're number three. I could see if you wanted to put them number two. I get it, okay? I still go Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia. Now is where things get a little interesting. Michigan rolls Colorado State 51-7. to Not that that's any great surprise. But what is interesting is what Jim Harbaugh is doing. He started one quarterback in the opener. The other quarterback starts this week. They're playing against Hawaii. Uh, believe me, the Michigan Athletic Department is not getting any points for scheduling anybody any good out of conference. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing who Michigan's playing. This is Michigan. Okay, I mean, they, they got to be playing somebody uh, of note in the preseason, if you will, prior to conference play. They don't, but they're good. Michigan's good, and Harbaugh's a great coach, number four. Number five, I got to tell you, I wanted to go with Notre Dame here uh, because I still believe that Notre Dame, who will play Clemson, my number five team today, Clemson rolled Georgia Tech last night, had to pull away late. Uh, I'm not sold on the Clemson quarterback yet. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his last name. His first name's DJ. We're calling him DJ. But um, I, I think when Clemson goes to Notre Dame later this year, I think Notre Dame beats them. And I think Notre Dame's a better team than Clemson. But uh, Clemson won in week one. Notre Dame got beat at Ohio State. So I wilted, and instead of putting uh, Notre Dame five, uh, Clemson is number five. I had Utah in the top five. Uh, that's the last time you'll ever see that again. I will never again in my life, in any form or passion, pick a Pac-12 team to win anything. I will never let it happen again. Fool me once, right? Shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. All right, boys, we welcome in uh, Casey McAllister and Brandon Seho to the program. They will be a big part of the program. I, I, you guys had the whole weekend to get something behind you in, 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 besides a wall in the studio, for crying out loud. And um, good, you can man. barely see the basketball hoop up above you. We've got uh, the Underdog Podcast where we got Luke Fickle on one side. And um, who's the coach at Miami over there? You might know who that is. Why am I blanking on it right? I should know this. Or a formal coach? I, I should know that. I don't know that. We'll find out. All quick. right. Anyway, um, so, I mean, that background still looks really tired. You guys got to do something about that. Speaking of tired, let's review our picks. Chuck Martin. Chuck okay. Martin. Here we go. So, we begin where? Casey McAllister, Brandon Seho. We're going with the Arkansas-Cincinnati game. That was a six-and-a-half-point spread. Mm. Um, I took the Bearcats. Casey took the Razorbacks. Brandon took his alma mater, the Bearcats. Casey, yeah, want to know. Yeah. Uh, I just, like I said before, I didn't trust the quarterback situation, and lo and behold, he wasn't ready, had too many missed throws. That's what happens when you don't name a starting quarterback. 
at the beginning of the offseason. Like, you just – you got to give him his reps. I think he'll end up being a good good quarterback for UC. But he had too many mis- – he didn't have enough reps to get chemistry with his guys. So, in the end, I think that's why they lost. I think they were the better team, but – They're 0-1. Yeah, they're 0-1. So. But you're 1-0. Yeah. Brandon, your alma mater – I know, I know. I, I mean, I think they looked like the better team for a majority of that game. But like you talked about earlier, the plays down the field he missed, the penalties. I've seen Fick mad before, and I covered that team for four seasons. I've seen Fick mad. He was covering his face, so you couldn't see him cussing out the refs on ESPN. He yeah. was living at his guys, and they were still that close to winning. That's the thing that I take away and you take for granted is that the last two years, they didn't lose a regular season game. That's right. But – they were this close. The only teams UC had lost to over the last two years were the last two national champions, which is pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Pretty I didn't good. know that. Right? Yeah. Georgia and Alabama. Okay. Uh, next up on the docket, here is this bloodbath. Uh, and, and again, I, I did not pick Oregon. No how, no way. You two clowns thought they would cover 17 down at uh, – I mean, come on. They didn't cover Come on. I – they didn't get it. They, they, they didn't almost barely didn't cover 47. Yeah, I mean, Bo Nix is a terrible quarterback. <laughs> he just is. He's 0-3 against Georgia. I should have just known right from the start that he was going to just flop this game. But I, I had deep down in my heart, I'm just thinking the Pac-12 is going to do something this year. No. I'm not doing it again. Now, write them off. That, those two losses between – I mean, Florida and Utah was a much closer game than this yep. one. But Oregon, like you said, it looked like Oregon High School. I mean, I think I think Lakota West could go out and give Oregon <laughs> a run for their play. <laughs> you might be right. Or Boulder, for sure, the way they're playing. Uh, man, are they rolling. Um, okay. So, now we go to Ohio State, Notre Dame. Um, you and I, Brandon, thought Oof. that Ohio State would cover the 17 – uh, Casey, you, you said the Fighting Irish. And again, Casey, you're a winner there. I am the winner here. Have you won a game yet, Brandon? No. Okay. Well, in the ones that didn't count last week, I went 3-0. and Again, Ooh. they didn't count. That's going to matter in the end of this. You know it. I thought that, <laughs> that Ohio State offense, they're going to be fine down the road. Yeah. The quarterback's great. The receivers obviously are top-notch. But I just thought they were going to – my personal spread was, what, 24 I said last week, yeah. I think? Yeah. Not even close. I got to tell you, though, you know, I, I, and I thought about this while I was at the game. Um, I, I, I think sometimes the hype, and I'm not a gambler. Uh, Lord knows I've had every other vice in the world, but, but gambling is not one of them. Um, but I have to say, I think all the hype about Ohio State's offense, uh, which I still think is going to live up to the hype, but the point spread – all those kinds of things. I sat there instead of enjoying what was a really good football game. It wasn't the most terribly exciting game in the world, but it was a really good football game. But I found myself the whole time wanting something that wasn't happening instead of enjoying what was happening, right? Instead of, it's like a lot of people who worry about tomorrow, and then when they get to tomorrow, they're, they're thinking about tomorrow instead of something good that's happening right now. I wish I'd have sat back and enjoyed that game a little bit more. I finally was able to, once I realized they weren't going to cover, they being Ohio State, 
Uh, and that the, the, those last two drives where the touchdown pass to Xavier Johnson and then watching Mayon Williams from Winton Woods High uh, just, just, just bulldoze people there on that final drive. And that was good football. It was fun to watch. All right. Um, this, I'm told, we were tailgating. Um, or no, I'm sorry. That was on at night. This game was. Uh, I'm told this was a good game. Uh, it was an interception in the end zone. I thought Utah would cover. Casey did too. Brandon finally gets on the board with a win, so a round of applause here for Brandon. Miracles do happen. Um, did, did either one of you guys watch much of this game? I did. Yeah, I just saw the scores. And, and what would you it, think, Casey? I mean, is this a game where Utah should have won or, or no or what? Um, you know – Florida's quarterback is something else. Uh, yeah, the guy who, who last year's coach couldn't do anything with him, right? Anthony Richardson. Yep. Yeah, he, right. he is something else. He just poise. He, I mean, he, there's a play out there. I, I don't know if we'll uh, get to see it sometime, but they're driving down the fourth quarter, and he makes a pump fake, spins out, and he, he jukes out two guys and throws a, just a wide-open touchdown, gets to the 29-26. And then Utah just comes running back, and they get down right to the goal line with 20-something seconds left. And I'm like, Utah's about to do it. They're about to win this game. And I just couldn't believe it. It just seemed like – I don't know. It just seemed like Utah just kind of choked all of a sudden. They, they were in position to win the game. I thought they were going to win the game. They Pac were right curse. there. But, yeah, I think – honestly, I'm starting to believe the Pac-12 curse after that game. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, they were right there. Well, and they they, they should have won the game. They've got that running back from UC that was there a couple of years ago, Tavion Thomas. He's a big reason why they beat, they beat Oregon last year, right, to help UC get in that playoff. Yeah, and he was a big reason why they were still in it. I mean, he was doing a great job, you know, getting downfield there for the final drive and just – yeah, I don't know. Well, they're very well coached, Utah, and uh, they're, they're really excited about the new coach down there, Napier at Florida. Um, you know, he comes from Louisiana where, you know, it builds up that whole thing into a powerhouse. And so um, the Florida Gators should be good every year, though. We, we've talked about this. I mean, th that's a program that mm -hmm. since Urban left, uh, they, they haven't done anything, and they've gone through two, three, four coaches, whatever it is. Maybe they got the right guy now. Okay, next up on the docket. We had Kentucky straight across the board. Did they cover? They yeah, did. they covered. All right, because it was tight early, right, against yep. Miami? Yep. It went back and forth a little bit. And okay. Good, good right. for the Wildcats under Stoops. They got a good team. All right, so we all pick Kentucky to cover in that one. And the, not the Ohio State, the Ohio University. Since 1804, America's oldest university West of the Allegheny Mountains in Athens, Ohio. Are we going to hear this every week? Better known as A-Town. They can hear me from there right now. Every week. And Ohio University wins, but they didn't cover, right? No, uh, and our next graphic is going to show that we actually won that bet. But I, I, I thought it was a three-point spread, but they were really close. They are really close. I okay. mean. It was a high-scoring game. Well, they go to Penn State this week. So, I don't know how much I like my chances. If Frank Solich was still the coach here, I'd give him a fighting chance. Uh, I don't know about the, uh, the Batlin Bobcats this week at Penn State. That's on ABC at high noon this coming Saturday. All right, so does that get us to our total? Yeah. I uh, think it's coming. Here we go. Here we go. Really good. Ooh. All right. 
Only one game off the pace. So a reminder, here's a deal. Uh, whoever has the best record at the end of the year, and we will be doing college and pro picks on um, Fridays. So whoever has the best record at the end of the year, we will donate money to the charity of the winner's choice at the end of the year. Casey at a very mediocre 3-3, three and three, but it's good <laughs> enough to be in first place moving forward. we got to start thinking about what our games are going to be for this week. Um, we haven't talked about that yet as far as what college games. I think that Alabama um, – that Alabama-Texas uh, game has certainly got to be one of them. Um, Bama's favored by 20 in that start. 20? Hammer it. Hammer it. I'm with you. Texas I'm with is you. not back. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, but, but it's early. We're not committed to this yet. Um, so we've got that. We have uh, – what was the other one? I was. Yeah, we got to pick every UC game. That's going to be a big spread. Uh, we got to pick every Ohio State game. That's going to be a big spread. Um, I think we go USC and Stanford. USC won mm-hmm. its opener under Lincoln Riley uh, over the weekend. Um, Stanford, David Montgomery has been there. You know, that, 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 that reminds me of a, of a topic that, that uh, one of these days we're going to get into with Brian Billick, and that's David Montgomery. I don't know David Montgomery. Um, obviously, first-class guy, and, and I think everybody would universally agree, a great football coach, great coach. And look, he's got to make whatever decisions he has to make for him and his family. And I could understand why somebody would want to stay at Stanford for the rest of their career if you're able to stay there for the rest of your career. It's a special place. Uh, you get great kids to play there. Uh, you, you generally don't have any issues off the field most of the time. Um, the environment, the facilities, everything is terrific. But, you know, there was a time after he had put together a couple of really good years in a row where they went 10-2, and 11-2, got to a Rose Bowl, played in some big bowl games, where he was all the talk of becoming a head coach in the NFL. He decided not to do it. And, and everybody and his brother was beating down his door, including the Philadelphia Eagles. They wanted to name him the head coach. And he decided to, to go ahead and not do it. My only question would be, what if Stanford has two or three bad years in a row? Right? And, and all of a sudden they decide, you know what, we need a change around here. And he decided not to explore these pro not to say they don't exist down the road but most of the time you're not going to get hired when you're doing one of these as opposed to one of these which he was doing not too long ago at stanford tie a ribbon around a couple of these uc and ohio state games over the weekend um luke fickle was asked about his reaction to playing down in fayetteville and suffering a tough loss on saturday here's coach fickle that's a really tough one. Nobody, nobody likes to lose, and, and you know it's not something you can ever get used to. Um, we've been very fortunate in the past, obviously regular season-wise, the last couple of years. Um, but nonetheless, this is a incredible learning experience. This is a growing time and an opportunity for us as a team, as we continue to find out and figure out and develop who us really looks like. Um, so I'm, I don't want those guys and myself or any of these coaches to hang their heads. 
I thought, uh, you know, we found out a lot about ourselves, about our fight and our toughness. Uh, we just didn't get it done. Didn't play well enough on both sides of the ball um, to get the job done in a, in a tough environment and uh, against a really good football team. So, but uh, this is how you this is how you figure out who you really are. How do you not love that guy? Seriously. How do you not love that guy? No excuses. No nothing. We didn't get the job done. But we do have to learn about who we are with Desmond Ritter not here anymore, starting at quarterback, won 44 games uh, over the last four years. Uh, Third most, I believe, in uh, Division I-A college football history by a starting quarterback. Uh, You're going on the road. First start for the new guy. I know he started a couple of years ago before he transferred, started a game for Ritter, but uh, he, he's a brand-new quarterback at UC. And, um, you know, I, I love the word toughness because that's really what fickle is all about. And football is still a violent, physical, tough sport. And you can have all the razzle-dazzle and all the spread stuff and all this sort of finesse stuff and everything else going on. But football is a violent, physical game played by violent, physical, tough young people. Luke Fickle was one of them as a player at Ohio State. And he knows that's how you win in football. His teams will always be tough and physical. Good days ahead. I mentioned Ryan Day. Um, One of the most interesting stories I read leading into the season was something I briefly touched on a moment ago. And I got into a big debate with an Ohio State fan I was sitting next to uh, at the game on Saturday about how they felt about Urban Meyer. And, um, I mean, look. The year in the pros and the Jacksonville thing, I'm separating that entirely from Urban Meyer at Ohio State. Okay, won a national championship. His record through the roof. He'd have won another one or two had he stayed. He didn't, and that's that. But one thing everybody will always tell you, and it's a reason why I believe he's the only coach with a certain number of games that has a winning record against Nick Saban. And I'm not comparing Nick Saban to Urban Meyer. Saban's the greatest college coach of all time, period. But Urban has a winning record against him. And it's because of that smash-mouth toughness and that swagger and that just the whole game, never letting up, just just pound him to death in there. Every single play and humiliate him if you can, okay? And a lot of the – the, the, the new age crowd, they don't want to hear about that stuff, okay? They don't want to hear about it. But that's what it is. And those are the kids you bring to play football at Ohio State, okay? A lot of people feel like Ryan Day does not, has not had that sort of whatever, right? Despite being 35-4 and four in his tenure at Ohio State. But uh, here were some of Day's comments uh, after the game, the victory over Notre Dame the other night. I refuse to answer that question right off the bat. <laughs> we just beat the number five team in the country by 11 points. And when you, you know, really, when you look at the last four teams that we played, I think all four teams were in the top 10. And this is a top five team. It's not easy to do. It's hard. And we just beat the number five team in the country by 11 points. And I couldn't be any prouder of our team and the way that our team played, especially in the fourth quarter. A lot of people question our toughness going into the offseason. 
Well, I mean, you have to watch the film and you make your decisions if you thought that team was tough tonight. And to, for us to win the way we did, I couldn't be any prouder. And we lost Jackson early on and it was a struggle. Their game plan was to kind of hold on to the ball and control the game. And so there wasn't as many possessions and you know, we missed on a few things early, got off schedule. But to be able to get the run game going in that last quarter, man, says a lot about our team. And you know, CJ Stroud was right well in front of that, made some huge plays down the stretch. And I think you can see who CJ wants to be. It isn't that he wants to go out there and have, you know, all these yards and everything like that. That's not important to him. What's important is winning. And he's a winner. And to see him play like that and then see the offensive line and those guys run. But the story of the night was the defense. To turn around after what's been said about them in the offseason, questioning their toughness and play the way they did against their number five team in the country. Um, I'm proud of our guys. And if we can uh, continue to win games like that, then that's how we'll win games. Um, and when you can win different ways, it says a lot about your team as well. And I think this game is going to pay dividends down the road. That's as great a sound bite as you're going to get from a, from, from a coach after a game. It, 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 he addressed all the things right there in that 45 or 50 second quote sound bite that, that I just talked about, that a lot of Ohio State fans have wondered about. You know, their defense, start there. Awful last year, right? They bring in Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. First play of the game, Notre Dame throws one for 30 yards. And you're thinking, oh, again? They were overwhelmingly dominant for the second half of that game. Allowed less than 75 yards of offense in the second half to a really good Notre Dame team who brought back a really good offensive line. A couple of guys on that offensive line are all Americans. And, and Notre Dame played well. Wouldn't take anything away from him. But, you know, Day addresses that. He addresses the offense not putting up um, 35, 45, 50 points. I, I think something off the top of my head, I read, I think in like seven of their games last year, they scored 40 or more. Maybe it was more than that. And a couple of games scored 50 or more, right? And, and all of us, me included, thought, oh, they're going to do that to Notre Dame. And Ryan Day is just sitting there saying, look, our quarterback, who, by the way, I, I got to tell you, um, there were a couple of throws he made in that game, rolling left as a right-handed thrower, that he had to put in a window about this wide to convert on big third downs late in that game. I don't get to watch Bryce Young enough, and I don't get to watch some of these other guys enough to know whether they make that throw, rolling to their right in a clutch big-time situation. I don't know. But I know that C.J. Stroud made it and made a number of them. And you heard it from Ryan Day. All C.J. Stroud cares about is winning games because they're still humiliated with what happened last year against Michigan. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back um, – oh, by the way, before we go, I, I want you guys to start thinking now about what our pro games are going to be this week. Are we going to have a standing deal where we pick every team from the AFC North – Okay, are we, in other words, are we going to pick every, we know we're going to pick every Bengals game. Mm -hmm. uh, Browns, Steelers, Ravens. Yep. Or are we just going to pick the, the, the four or five biggest games? 
I like doing the division. I like doing the division too. Um, Maybe throwing one one game a week in there. That's yeah. a big marquee game. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, what we'll do is is we will do uh, one pick on Thursday for since it is opening night to christen in the NFL season, right? So we'll make a pick for that Buffalo Rams game. And then Friday, we'll air it out. We'll have all our college picks. You, you, you have something you want to add to that, Brandon? I thought you raised your hand. Oh, no, I didn't raise my hand. I just speak when I, when I want to, if that's okay. And believe me, <laughs> uh, when you live in a house with, uh, <laughs> with uh, a couple of women and a son, but a couple of women for a number of years before she went off to college, uh, you, you realize that uh, speak whenever you want. All right, when we come back, uh, the state of baseball. With Tracy Jones, you know Tracy, he was a player in Major League Baseball, played for five different teams, came up with the Reds, um, and uh, was a radio personality here in town at WLW for years and years and years. Still does a show, Brenneman and Jones, although he said it's Jones and Brenneman on baseball. Uh, But he always has uh, great insight as to to all things of the world, not just baseball, but, but life in general. So Tracy Jones will be joining us here shortly on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right, they call it Steelers Week around here. Week one of the NFL season, and right from the get-go, the defending AFC champion, your Cincinnati Bengals will be hosting uh, one of their biggest rivals, division rival, uh, the Steelers, who, they're the Steelers. We talked about this a little bit with, with Paul Doherty earlier. Um, naturally, when it's a rival, Browns, Ravens, Steelers, whatever. You know, a lot of people around here, they, they despise the Steelers. Um, I would certainly make the argument that you can despise the Steelers, but how in the world you don't respect the Steelers would be mind-boggling. We all know about all the championships and all that kind of thing, but, man, Mike Tomlin, that guy, what he did last year, you know, I, I always reflect back to the, to the Marvin Lewis days. And look, I thought Marvin did a really nice job taking the Bengals from point A to point B. He made them uh, no longer a laughingstock. He made them a competitive team. He took them to multiple playoffs, right? But they never won a playoff game, right? guy like Mike Tomlin, what he did last year with that team, seriously, with that team, to get into the playoffs. And I know they were only, what, nine and eight? But they still got in the playoffs. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll come to play. Uh, Zach Taylor had his weekly press conference yesterday and was asked about Steeler Week and all that means. That, that's not something we're really getting into. We, we just needed – we knew the work that we needed to put in a training camp to prepare ourselves for the first week. And – Really, I'm not sitting here looking beyond that because we know we know how big Pittsburgh is week one at home and how big a divisional game is, period. Um, it's important to open up with great energy in front of your fans and start the season 1-0. And so that's all that we need to be focused on right now is being the best team we can be to beat Pittsburgh in week one. Um, and then we'll take care of the weeks after that. But I don't want to focus on this team compared to last year. I know that these guys have put in a lot of work. They're confident. We're confident in them. And we want them to go able to play fast and freely in week one and, and uh, just let them go play ball. Does it have the same feeling now? Does it feel different now that you guys are defending the 
I, I think every game in this division has that feeling to it. There, there's, um, there's not added importance because they're all important, but, but there is. You know, your, your easiest path to playoffs is to be dominant in your division. And so it starts week one against the divisional team at home. You've got to take advantage of those opportunities. You feel it from our fans, certainly. There, there's a relationship there that I want to get into that you feel when you're walking through the community uh, 365 days of the year. But um, for our guys, they're just focused on whoever walks out of that tunnel ready to go, and, and I'm excited to watch them play. Data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech, Encore, E-N-C-O-R-E dot tech. The path to innovation begins here. One of the great powerhouse companies of Cincinnati, Encore Technologies. All right, Tracy Jones, right around the corner. You love him. You can't wait to hear from him. He's next on Off the Bench. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I was just uh, checking out here on um, YouTube, um, where you can find us, by the way. Just go to YouTube um, and type in Chatterbox Sports with Tom Brenneman. Our Chatterbox Sports, our show will come up among uh, many other things we have going on. And um, we're good. Uh, hit subscribe. Uh, it's free. So we'd love to have you with us. Uh, Steve uh, said, I had no idea you guys were on for five days a week. I subscribed. Hit notify. It's been a busy day at work today, even though I work from home. Uh, Alex is dialed in. Uh, and many, many other uh, thousands are dialed in right now. So thank you. Uh, also, you can find us um, wherever you get podcasts, Apple, so on and so forth. All right. We promised uh, Tracy Jones would be with us. He, he, he looks like he's coming from a similar setting that uh, Joe Biden made his speech the other night. It's so dark there. And I'm just looking for two Marines standing in the background. Are you in a cave of some kind doing this show today? I mean, you got all over my dad's case about his internet or lack thereof. Listen, you look like you're I in a cave. Listen, I was going to tell you because I've been watching you, and I think you need encouragement because you're new at this. You're doing a great job, Tom, in case anybody's told you that or hasn't told you that. Hey, listen. Do you want me to turn the lights on a little brighter? Yeah, I, I mean, do you, don't you have oh, yeah, one of those well, fancy lights right in front of you where it shows your face a little bit? Yeah, let's do this. I'll step away for a second. You people who are watching, take a look at all my memorabilia. <laughs> take a look at my 25. Where Where is that? 25 with the Giants. You know, I was 25 before Bonds. One second. Stay <laughs> We got to ask him about some of this stuff. What do you have back there? You got you got the Giants uni. Do you have every jersey you wore framed? Seriously, do you? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Twenty four with the Expos, fifteen with the Tigers, uh, twenty five with the Mariners, uh, the Reds, of course, and the Giants. Twenty five. Can you? I want to ask that, you. Tom? I want to ask you a serious question for a second, and then we'll we'll move on to uh, some nonsense. And, and I remember this, Tracy, like it was – and I know no one remembers this more than you. 
But but all kidding aside, we jab you a lot and we have fun about you know you playing and coming up with those whole group of guys and hitting third in the lineup, coming up with Davis and Larkin and O'Neill and Cal Daniels and Stillwell and that whole group. But you were not going to cover off the ball when you first came up to the Reds. You and Cal Daniels were platooning out there in left field for a while, and I mean you, you're just mashing. I think you were hitting like three thirty, three forty something. The injury you had in Montreal. Right? Where you tear up your knee. No, it wasn't in Montreal. Well, I thought it was, it was Montreal. Where was it? No, I had surgery in Montreal. And this, you know, you start bringing up stuff like this, Tom. You know, I'm always joking around. But you bring up a topic like this in my career. And if I really f- focus in on my career, I get very upset and kind of depressed. Because, like you said, I was hitting. And I was doing pretty good. And the night that I hurt my knee... I hit my knee on the mound at Riverfront. Yes, the, the bullpen like, mound where, where, the, where yes. the bullpens were still in play. Yes, I, I knew it was. Right. That's how. Okay, so go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt. It was it was off the bat of Mike Schmidt. There's no reason why I should have been going for the ball, but before the game, and I was platooning with Paul O'Neill actually at the time, and Pete came up to me and said, "Listen, you're no longer platooning. It's your job in right field." And then you I hurt myself, and I was never the same. I never and knew that story. Kind of, yeah, and I try not to tell it because it's such a bad story, and it's tough. And, and I know you're probably thinking, you know, Tracy's story is probably a lot like Mickey Mantle's story, right? How Mickey Mantle got I was thinking more that. Wally Pip. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, you know, that, that can bring you down if you start thinking about it. Well, it can. You know, and I know you're not kidding around when you say it. I mean, it really can because I've met with with other guys who felt like and and talked to other guys who felt like their careers were were right on the brink of taking off and then an injury happens. And then do you think that you're – I'm curious if you've ever thought about this, not that it, it matters at all, but do you think with the technology today on knee surgeries it would have been a different comeback for you than it was back then? Man, you're asking some great questions. I had an MRI done in Cincinnati when I heard it, and the MRI came back negative. There was nothing wrong with it. So there were only, at the time, two MRI machines in the entire country. So after Buck Rogers, who was the manager of Montreal, said, Tracy, I'm tired of watching you limp on one leg. He says, you need to get surgery. When they operated on me, The doctor said afterwards, how in the hell did you play on that knee? He said there was a divot the size of a quarter underneath your kneecap. So I had the surgery. And you know what they told me back then, Tom? Mm -mm. They told me that, hey, you need to take two months off. Instead of doing any type of rehab, take two months off. So needless to say, my knee just kind of locked up. I never had the speed that I once had. I mean, when I got hurt that night, I was second in the National League in stolen bases. And I'm not saying I was better than Paul O'Neill because Paul O'Neill is a, is a friend of mine, great, great player, just had his number retired with the Yankees. I'm not saying that, but I'm telling you what led up to that yeah. uh, that injury. You were doing it. Um, all right. I want to show you. Shift. you, you I, I'm glad we had that conversation. I, I really mean this because, I mean, I've known you for a long time, but I've really never had a chance to ask you that question. Uh, all the years that you were on the radio here in Cincinnati, you never really talked about this and, and, and got into it, and you playfully have fun and all that kind of thing. But, 
But, but look, for you and your life, this was a very serious topic. It was a serious topic. And, and I don't bring it up on the radio and because nobody's going to feel sorry for me. <laughs> you don't feel sorry. Do you feel sorry for me? You know Tom? what I do? I do. You do, don't you? I, I really so your do. Dad, your dad wouldn't feel sorry for not me. A not, not a chance. Not a chance. He'd have wondered uh, why, unlike the doctor who asked you how you played with a divot in your knee, he would have asked you just like he used to ask me, why didn't you play better despite that divot in your knee? Uh, <laughs> it, it's tough playing in the big leagues, period. But to play it on one leg, and, and speed was an important part of my game. I mean, I went from being one of the fastest players in the National League to being below average. Hmm. getting down to first base, and that's pretty sad. Hey, a cat like you uh, over the weekend, um, I didn't get into the whole WEBN fireworks show and all that kind of thing. Um, I, I remember years and years ago, you and I were at some event by Cincinnati Bell, I think, and John Burns, where we were both watching the, the fireworks. But, uh, you know, for many, many years, you lived down there uh, by the river. Did, did, did you hang out and watch the fireworks over the weekend, or that's not your thing? Uh. First of all, people who watch fireworks are hillbillies. They sit there, drink all Milwaukee, and watch fire fireworks. You've seen one fireworks. You've seen them all. You know, people get excited, you know, with sparklers. You remember those snakes you used to put on the ground? They used to make that black stain on the cement. Do you ever have, ever have a fireworks like that? I mean, that's what people do right below my building. And drink all Milwaukee and watch the fireworks and go, ooh, wow. Come on. I'm better than that. You, you did you just call people who watch fireworks hillbillies? Did I say that? I'm sorry. Listen, I I'll be honest with you. I did watch the fireworks, but oh, I was drinking. Oh, so you did watch them? I kind of like fireworks a little bit. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to stop the act a little bit, I actually like the fireworks, and I thought they were very good this year. So when you have, you know, now I'm a beer drinker, okay? I'm not a, I'm not a mixed drink guy. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, the, all the, the, the rage over the last few years, you know, wine drinking and all that. If you were watching the fireworks, are you having a beer or are you one of those wine guys? Or are you I like a high you, noon guy? I, first of all, I don't drink. Uh, first of all, I only eat once a day. I, I fast throughout the day. I only eat one time a day. And then I have a couple of cocktails, and then I eat my dinner. Uh, I am not a beer guy. That's kind of a ham and egger thing. I drink, and I told you this, but you weren't listening to me. You remind me so much of your dad. Uh, Grey Goose. And once in a while, I'll lower the bar and have kettle one and tonic, something like that. But, yeah, I like to keep it high end. You know, what kind of beer do you like, Tom? You like those? What do you I, like? I, you uh, know, I, I, I'm not a big uh, I'm not a big uh, microbrew guy. The, those are no. loaded with those because I can drink some beer now. I mean, I, I have to admit, for whatever reason, and I've, I've practiced it a long, long time, uh, I can really drink some beer. And so if, if all of a sudden, you know, you have four or five more of those micro beers where the, where the alcohol level is up five and a half, six and a half, seven percent, I mean, that, that's not good. That's not good. So I'm a ham and egger. So we've established that in some ways, which surprises me when it comes to you, Tracy Jones, uh, when you just made the reference to ham and egger, um, you know, I mean, 
Ham and Eggers are the kind of guy and the kind of people I figured you spent most of your life with out where you grew up in California, and, and in many ways you relate to now in Cincinnati. But well, I, kinda, I don't yeah, know if that's true anymore. Yeah, I really don't try to hang out with those type of working class people. I'm more of a upper. <laughs> Got to make well into six figures. Hey, do you think you might have a problem? You said you drink five or six beers. That sounds like you have a, a drinking problem, Tom. I might. I might. I might. <laughs> it's it's amazing how you used to have two, right? Then it moves three, four, five to yeah. get the same result. And a lot of that is based on how long you're married. <laughs> yes. I'm convinced I of hear that. you. I yeah. hear you. All right, I want to get to something, a couple of topics here about the sport you know that you love. I'm assuming you continue to love it because I got to be honest with you. Um, I'm getting ready to do a, 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 a streaming show I do every week. I've been doing it the whole season from the Pioneer League. Did you ever play in the Pioneer League? No. I know that that's low A ball, right? Yeah, and, and, and now it's half- independent ball ever since they cut out oh. uh, 60 teams or whatever it was. And, and you know, they, I mean, the, the Reds franchise was in Billings there for, I think, like 45 yeah. or 55 years. A lot of the great players in Reds history came through there. Um, but – I've been doing the show all year long uh, about the Pioneer League. And um, we're doing our final show of the year tomorrow night. Um, and, and, and everybody is asked to do a two- or three-minute commentary on why they love baseball. Okay. And look, you played the game. You talk about the game a lot. I, I had the, the blessing and the privilege of broadcasting at 33 years. I hope I get a chance to do it again. But, Tracy, baseball is not the same game today that you played. It's not even the same game that was played as recently as 15 years ago. Better or worse now? Oh, oh I think it's worse, Tom. It, it is, there is such a lack of hitting. And it gets frustrating for me to watch a game because there's so much swinging and missing. I'm going to give you give you some numbers, okay? Because I actually come prepared, unlike your other guests that you have, like Barkley and Billy, those guys. The Reds are hitting 242. The Reds are hitting 242 as a team. Now you would think that would be at the bottom, but that's actually in the middle of Major League Baseball. The Oakland A's are hitting 217 with an on-base percentage of 281. There are four teams, only four teams that are hitting or that have an on-base percentage of 320. Can you believe that? No, and you wonder I, why I, I really don't can't. like the game. It's I, I really boring. You've got to have more hitting. You've you got to have guys on base. you got to have stealing. You've you got to have some motion. It just can't be spin the win. And we talked about it the other day. You know the launch angle? You ever see some of these guys, they have the same swing. I play with a guy like Kevin Mitchell. I saw Kevin Mitchell hit balls up here. I saw Kevin Mitchell pick balls up at the plate, off the ground. Barry Larkin used to do that, right? A different swing. I see some of these guys, same swing for every single pitch. It's either home run or a strikeout. And to me as a fan, I think that's boring. Uh, Well, uh, okay, look, I I think you can make a very strong case that everything you just said is directly tied to analytics. And this is one of the hot-button topics uh, of baseball fans. You've got an entire generation of people that believe that analytics is like the holy grail out there, right? That all the answers are involved in analytics. And you just mentioned the Oakland Athletics. 
The guy who, quote-unquote, made analytics famous is actually one of my favorite people I've ever been around in the game as a guy is Billy Bean. I love Billy Don't, Bean. He's a cool guy. Job. He's a smart guy. He's a fun guy. He loves to laugh. He loves to have fun. I just really like the guy. But He was a horrible player, by the way. Well, he horrible might have been a horrible player, player but, but he's a good general manager. But the point yes, I'm making he, is, is this, is this, is this. Is it you know all the people who 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 will argue that analytics is the all end all and be all? They'll point at teams like the Boston Red Sox or something uh, when Theo Epstein was here, and I'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought the idea of analytics was to find players that could do certain things very very well, and that you could go and 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 sign those players and scout those players and develop those players, and they wouldn't cost you a fortune. Right? One day. You could go find those little, you know, sort of diamonds in the rough everywhere. Right? Every team has bought all in. And the Boston Red Sox were not one of those teams, an analytics team, when you're spending $200 million a year on payroll. Right? The Oakland A's are still trying it with analytics with a payroll of, of whatever it is, $30 million. And for them, you just gave the numbers and it ain't working. But that's the reason you don't see any hitting anymore. Well, I think one of the numbers that Billy Bean, and he is a great general manager, that he focuses in on, and I thought that was a big number, is the on-base percentage. Yep. Right? I mean, you can't score any runs if you're not getting on base. So that analytic thing is fine, and I understand that being a piece. I did a show with your dad about a week ago saying what I would do if I was general manager. And what I would do is I'd hire the three best scouts in baseball. Three best ones. I don't know who they are. There could be one from Seattle, one from the Tigers, and one from the Mariners. I don't know, but I would pay those guys top-notch price. I'd pay them the most you know, that you could pay. I mean, maybe 500000 because I think scouting is the most important part. I'd have them fly first class, stay in the nicest hotels, and take care of those guys. I think a lot of time is wasted just I see scouts in the stands still to this day just sitting there with marking things down. You need those top-notch scouts. You really do. And that's what made the Reds great back in when I played. I'm not talking about but the scouting that they had, the Larry Doty, the Larry Barton Jr. and Sr. You had Gene Bennett, who wanted yep. to draft Cheater. Instead, Jim Bowden, old leather pants, took Chad Matola, right? Can you imagine an infield of Jeter and Barry Larkin? Who would have played shortstop? Well, that would have been, and I read this the other day, that would have been Barry Larkin. They were going to move Jeter to center field, and Barry was not going to move from playing shortstop. A lot of people don't know this, but Kurt Stilwell was pretty good back then, Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And there was a thing going back and forth about who was going to move over and play second base. Pete wanted, and Pete might correct me on this, he wanted to move Barry Larkin to second. And Barry said, I'm not moving. Yeah. And Kurt says, I'll move. Yeah. That's and the rest is history. The rest is history. Two good shortstops, though. Two good shortstops. And Stillwell had a nice career. Larkin, a Hall of Famer. Uh, we know all about him his entire career with the Reds. Um, yeah. When it comes to some of the um, – um, issues of the game, and, and a lot because of what you just talked about, strikeouts, walks, home runs, right? That percentage 
uh, has been steadily climbing fast uh, as an end result of at bats. Now, I understand this year maybe it's come you know leveled off a little bit, but that's been doing one of these. It's up in the high thirty percent or low forty percent. Um, pace of play. Look, when you got a lot of guys walking, you got a lot of striking out, you got a lot of pitches being thrown, you got a lot of pitches being taken. Pace of play. Do you think Major League Baseball should? and will adopt a pitch clock. Well, let me let me say this. And, and you talk about the time of baseball game. I think it's up to three hours and 10 minutes when it used to be two hours and 30 minutes. When I was watching the, the fireworks, Tom, with all the hillbillies having my uh, uh, gray goose and tonic, <laughs> I was also watching Godfather 1 and 2 back to back. That was five hours of watching TV. I never said, oh, man, this is going on too long. This is too long of a movie. I enjoyed the whole Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. Now, Godfather 3 was terrible. Francis Ford Coppola's daughter was a terrible actress in that. But my point being is you worry about time. That, that's, that's what you people do. You're worrying about, oh, the game's taking too long. Do we need a pitch clock? This is something that your dad, and I'm going to give him credit on this, because he found this in the rule book. It's rule 8.04. And here's what it says. And it's been enforced, or it hasn't been enforced, but it's been out there for years, since the beginning of baseball. Nobody on base. The pitcher has 12 seconds to deliver the ball, or it's ruled a ball by the umpire. This rule's been there. They haven't enforced it. Why? Why is that? Because they're scared to death of the players, and they're scared to death of the players' union. That's the reason why. They don't do it. Uh, they, they don't do it. Do you think – all right, well, look, you made the argument, and, and unless they're going to enforce it, but it, let's just assume for a second they don't because they haven't, uh, unless they make it a, a priority handed down from Major League Baseball that this is what we're going to do. They have pitch clocks in the minor leagues. What, yes, do they you do. you think we're going to see a pitch clock in the big leagues? Well, I mean, what, what, with the pitch clock – what would the number be? Would it be 20 seconds or would it be rule 8.04 of no, 12 seconds? That's a good question. Well, let me, let me throw this at you because I think it's important. They actually did a, they, they looked at that rule 8.04 in Minnesota and the Royals game. And they found that the pitchers were throwing the ball within that 12 second. So they're fine. Except when the hitters came around a second time. They slowed it down. And then when you get the relief pitchers in there, they really, really slow it down. Tom, you broadcast a, a million games, right? Do you ever notice how those first three innings go really fast? Yeah. And then the last six just drag on? Yeah. It, it happens. They get through the first time through the rotation, through the batting order, and then they slow it down. And that, that's what they found with this game in Minnesota and the Royals, that they don't start throwing pitches under 12 seconds. Despite the fact that you clearly have painted yourself as a borderline elitist uh, in, in the last 15 minutes of this program, uh, you were always you. a union guy back in your playing days, okay? And I know you um, were, you know, right there as part of the Players Association. God bless you. Do you think now, as you look at what's going on in baseball um, and – you know, look, the numbers are starting to do one of these, right? TV ratings, attendance, yep, yep. all these sorts of things. Do you think it would behoove – I know that's a big word. Do you think it would behoove the players' union to consider a salary cap? 
or revenue sharing. Is that well, what you're talking about? Kind of, kind of like an NFL or an NBA or a you know NHL model. I don't know which of those three actually has the best, but you know what I'm getting at. Ultimately, yeah, you'd have to include revenue sharing as part of uh, the sales pitch to the players to give consideration to something that they, they, they completely say not a chance. But do you think with the state of the game being what it is now, do you think that the union should consider entertaining an idea of a salary cap? I think it's a great idea, and they've, they've thrown it around before in the past. I just don't know how you compete if you're like the Royals or the Reds or the Oakland A's or the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's, it's just so tough. And what makes football great is one team could be at the bottom, and the next year, you know, they're winning the division. I mean, it's so, so competitive. And, and let me just say something about our union. Uh, we have the greatest union ever. Uh, I'm actually taking my pension for the first time at 62. It maxes out. I can't, I've delayed it long enough. I get it at 62. And I called him up the other day. And I says, listen, I don't need the money. I'm rich. I don't need it. He says, Tracy, you have to take your pension now because you're not going to get any more on the upside. So I'm taking it at 62, in case anybody was interested. So what are you doing with all that money now between your, your financial planning business, uh, right. being basically a landlord, uh, right. thousands and thousands Plumlord. of units all over? Plumlord. I didn't say that. You said that. No, I am a slumlord. And, and, you know, now being a huge part of this program, which we know is a huge bay day for everybody involved, what are you going to do with all that extra money from the pension? I just count it. Just count it. I just look at the check and I just put it in investments and, <laughs> and just, you know, when I put it in, it's still rich like that. Just, yeah, everything's, I'm very lucky and all kidding aside, I'm very lucky. My wife does quite well. Um, but she works about 14 hours a day. I keep kidding around. She probably makes $4 an hour. The working fool. I probably put in, I mean, it's tough for me because I usually wake up about 11 o'clock. I mean, it's tough to get out of bed when you're sleeping in silk pajamas. I usually just, you know, go and have lunch. Um, you know, I put probably put in three hours a week in work. And now you're going to put me, I'm going to have to do some more work here i did a lot of research for your uh, you show know what though. you were I, i'm very impressed and uh and um i and thank what? you for your time and, and we're going to see you again on uh thursday right you sure you want me back and don't forget rule 8.04 okay are we gonna pub i mean do you need any pub for your like financial services business anything like that or you just got everything on cruise control i've got everything on cruise control i'm living the life of riley Okay. All right, Tracy. Thank you. See you, Tommy. See you, buddy. Tracy Jones. I mean, that guy is the freaking best, man. That guy is the best. He told me, he said, look, if you ask me to come on this show regularly, there's a chance I'm going to make somebody mad. I said, I don't care. He said, it makes no difference to me whatsoever. Um, okay. Tomorrow, we will be joined by um, Dan Horde the voice of the Bengals and the Bearcats. You see getting ready for its home opener. The Bengals, of course, getting ready for week one uh, of the NFL season hosting the Steelers. We begin tomorrow, and we will have this every Wednesday. We're going to call it the big interview, right? And our inaugural guest is one of the biggest and baddest dudes around on the field, a big giant teddy bear off the field, Hall of Fame offensive tackle, 
Anthony Munoz will be our guest tomorrow. That will be an extended interview with the Hall of Famer, Anthony Munoz. I'd like to thank our producers, Casey McAllister and Brandon Seho. We thank our show content contributor, Mr. Paul Frischner. Our executive producer at Chatterbox Sports is Trace Fowler. Now, remember, I'm going to tell you each and every day, we're here from 10 a.m. to 12, live, every day, five days a week, okay? Stream us, go to YouTube, search Chatterbox Sports, hit subscribe, hit like if you like it, get notifications, Okay, and you'll be dialed in on every single day. And before we get out of here today, and by the way, we're available on anywhere you find your podcast. I have a feeling that Tracy Jones interview is going to get a lot of hits today. A lot. He's a a character. A lot. He's great. He is great. I love Tracy Jones. All right, time for our Cherry on Top segment presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers, a segment where, you know, want to let you know and get our reaction to what's happening maybe out there. I don't know what this is. Gentlemen, what is this? It is the sad state of UCLA football. It's been like this at the Rose Bowl for many, many years. All-time low this past weekend. Apparently, there was 22,000 people here. I don't buy it. This is a shot. Go ahead and roll the video. This is the state of UCLA. I mean, you got to be kidding me. That's 27,000? No chance. Or 23,000? No chance. That's more like 1,000. I mean, any game out there, if you're an away fan, which is going to be good for the Big Ten people, you get Ohio State out there, they're going to fill that place up. LSU did it last year, the year before in the season opener. Away teams have a field day out there. I'm just in shock. It's sad, honestly. I mean, you think back to when I was growing up, and I had the privilege of working with this guy on three or four Cotton Bowls. He just passed away, God rest his soul. Awesome dude, Terry Donahue. Longtime head coach at UCLA. Uh, got to know him really, really well. Troy Aikman played there. I mean, you, you go on and on and on and on. And what they used to be. Uh, that that video is... There's no cherry on top of that Sunday out there in um, at the Rose Bowl. And you're right. I mean, in two years from now, when Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan... And look, I'd go right down the road. Iowa, Indiana... Nebraska, you pick the team that goes out there to play UCLA. They'll have they'll have eighty five to ninety percent of of the Rose Bowl filled with the visiting schools fans, and that's Chip Kelly, the head coach here at UCLA. What on earth has happened to UCLA football? All right, look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. Thanks so much for being with us. This is Off the Bench, presented by UDF. I'm Tom Brenneman. Have a great day. See you mañana.